Welcome to the Almighty's Dollar Podcast with Daniel Watts, the director of the EGM Institute. Although I've never been to Maui or visited Lahaina, many of my friends vacation there annually. Hawaii's a beautiful destination and the real estate makes it one of the wealthiest spots in the world. None of the families there who woke up on August 8th could have imagined the total devastation and loss that would occur that day. We watched here on the mainland in horror as a wind-driven inferno engulfed cars, homes, buildings, and destroyed that beautiful little town. Lives were lost and people's entire life belongings were destroyed in a few hours of raging fire. At the end of the day, people had lost everything they had, including their loved ones. It was another reminder of how quickly wealth and possessions can be gone. Wealth is on Paul's mind as he finishes up his first letter to Timothy, a reminder to the wealthy regarding the fleeting nature of their riches. Let me read 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In this passage, Paul addresses the attitude we should have towards wealth and what actions the wealthy should take. So here goes. In terms of attitude, Paul speaks about three different attitudes that the wealthy should have. The first one is humility. Paul reminds us that all we have is a gift from God and the fruit of his grace. Wealth is the fruit of labor, a principle established by God in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1, 27 to 31. It's the grace of God that has created a world where we can work and enjoy the fruits of our labor. It's God who gives us all that we have. Those who are arrogant, Paul writes in verse 17, see things differently, viewing their wealth as a source of pride and value, personal value, self-worth. This, isn't an, this is not an uncommon view among the wealthy, and according to Paul, it's a troubling quality. The second attitude we should have is a right perspective. Genuine humility comes when the godly have, when the wealthy have a godly perspective on their possessions. They know that they're fleeting intuit, and intuitively identify with the words of Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Lacking this humility, the arrogant place their trust, confidence, and hope in their material wealth. And then finally, Paul says we should have an attitude of, of joy, of enjoying the wealth that God's given to us. Those who live in humility and with a true godly perspective can enjoy their riches. This isn't a hedonistic, self-satisfying, narcissistic obsession, but rather an attitude of thankfulness and an awareness that a deeper joy is found in relationship to Christ. 
Those who live in arrogance and without the right godly perspective are often seeking more and more wealth, as described by Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 10, which precedes this passage we just read. Over the last 40 years, I've had the opportunity to meet many wealthy Christian people who are dedicated Christ followers, and they embody these three values of humility, right perspective, and enjoyment. Like the heart surgeon and professor of cardiology at Wake Forest, who told me that what I was doing was so much more important because I had the hearts of children in my hands. The commercial real estate developer who had the quietest ride ever across Romania because his knees were up around his ears in the little tiny car I drove. The home builder who visited us, visited us in Poland where I discovered him in a homemade fort playing with my five-year-old son. The attorney and law partner who I found watching Christian cartoons with my three-year-old son. That same attorney is teaching business law to that same son who's now 30 years old in a Christian university 27 years later. Finally, the businessman who asked me to pray because he had experienced a serious downturn in his business and wasn't sure how he was going to meet his giving commitments. These and others have taught me that humility, perspective, and real joy, the attitudes Paul advocates in this passage, are evident in the lives of people. And, and they've taught me those through their example. And this kind of attitude leads to godly actions. And that's the second theme in the passage. Paul urges the wealthy to act in at least two specific ways. First, in good deeds. Paul urges the wealthy to not only have a godly attitude, but he also exhorts them to do good work. Paul suggests that there's a different kind of wealth and riches, wealth and riches in good deeds. The wealthy are called to acts of kindness towards others. This is not the kind of good deeds that we often see splashed across websites and news touting enormous financial gifts or philanthropic gestures. These are deeds done to bring joy to others and lighten their load. During my years living in Poland, which was from 1991 to 2001, I, I traveled across Europe and we had work in Belarus, Hungary, Poland, Romania, and Ukraine. And on one of those trips, I was exiting a train when a young group of men crowded around me and basically mugged me taking my computer with all my work files, Bible studies, training materials, and my notebook itself. I was left crushed and feeling so very foolish. A few days later, I received an email from a good friend in California who was a longtime supporter of our ministry. In the email, he instructed me to buy a new computer and that he and his wife were sending the funds to cover the purchase and they'd be sending them to our mission organization. This is the kind of good deeds that the wealthy are about. And the second thing that Paul says the wealthy should do in terms of action is generosity. The wealthy are called to generosity using their wealth to further the gospel of Jesus Christ and ease the suffering of others. 
The decision to limit one's personal expenditures for the purpose of being generous to others is a theme woven throughout the scriptures. I've written elsewhere on generosity in my blog and weekly blog and and, um, earlier podcasts. So I'm not going to belabor it here, but suffice it to say that generosity to God and others is an investment in eternity and establishes a foundation for an eternal future of joy and blessing. The passage closes with a reminder that living with this kind of attitude and acting in generosity and goodness is real living. A life focused on the accrual of more and more wealth with a haughty attitude, lacking generosity and goodness to others, is really no life at all. Reading this passage in this blog leads us to realize that challenges that wealth and riches pose for the Christ follower. We may subtly fall into the trap of thanking God that I'm not counted among the wealthy. However, over the years, I've come to understand that wealth is often misunderstood. When you stand in a village in the Democratic Republic of Congo, you realize that you are counted among the wealthy. When you walk into your medical clinic, healthcare facility, or hospital, you realize you're counted among the wealthy. When you read this blog on a computer or listen to the podcast, you're among the privileged. When you own two bicycles in your village, you're numbered among the wealthy. In so many ways, the wealthy are many in number. Like the little white-haired lady, who came up to me at an event in Pasadena years ago where I was sharing about our efforts to provide Bible teaching curriculum in Russian in the former Soviet Union. She was certainly not wealthy by most people's standards. She was on a fixed income, a widow living in a simple one-room apartment. She told me she had lived through the entire Cold War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and could hardly believe the opportunity to minister freely in the former Soviet Union. She took my hand and asked to pray for me, and in a beautiful good deed, she slipped into my hand an envelope. We opened it in the office the next day, and it was a gift for $5,000. This is the kingdom life to be enjoyed for eternity. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. And we look forward to being with you again in the future. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Our next Almighty's Dollar podcast will be the same time next week. To learn more about giving and fundraising, check out the EGM Institute website at www.egminstitute.org.